I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Metta Hour Podcast with Sharon Salzberg, where Buddhist wisdom meets everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, visit www.beherenownetwork.com slash Sharon. Enjoy listening. Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg, and I'm thrilled today to welcome the very talented Alanis Morissette to the Real Love series, right here on the Sharon Salzberg Meta Hour. Alanis Morissette is one of the most influential singer-songwriter musicians in contemporary music, with sales of over 60 million albums worldwide. She's a dedicated advocate of female empowerment, spiritual, psychological, and physical wellness, and the advancement of children's education. Welcome, Alanis. Hello. I'm so glad you're you're here talking to me. Oh, um, I think most of my listeners are really very intense fans of your music. So I thought we might start today with the side of you that people are a little less familiar with, which is outside of the music world. Uh-huh. You're a longtime seeker, as I understand. I've spent a lot of time studying developmental psychology and attachment theory, internal family systems, somatic experiencing, and shadow work, to name a few, as well as a lot of work around addiction and codependence recovery. Can you tell us what started this journey for you and what focus it's currently taking for you? Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be speaking with you. I just wanted to make sure I said that before I began. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, I've been, I think, based on my temperament and my um, my role in my family, to be honest, as a young child was that of therapist and was that of attempting to control chaos and, and playing that that 
juicy role in my family. So it, I started quite young with wanting to understand the human condition for several reasons. One, just because I was innately curious about it, about how we operate and why we're here, et cetera, some of the, some of the loftier, more fun questions for me. And then also as a survival strategy to figure out, if I, I thought that if I could figure out why people were behaving in certain ways they were behaving, namely family members, et cetera, that somehow I could control it um, and, mm-hmm. I, and I could help. You know, So the idea of, of being of service was intentional for varying reasons um, from the t- as far back as I can remember, actually. And then for a long time in my career, um, writing music, uh, I would write the songs initially for myself to to gain some level of clarity or understanding. And then I realized that upon sharing it, that people would make these songs their own, and they would they would use it in whatever way they they deemed necessary in the mo- that, that moment in their mm-hmm. life. So it was a uh, it was a very convenient way to be expressed and serviceful at the same time. So I, I felt really blessed for that. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And then in terms of coming to, to what you just described, for a long time people were really encouraging me within the industry to, to pick a lane, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. to stay in my lane and and uh, in some ways remain one-dimensionalized and even, you know, they would have sort of a reductive view of me, whereas, you know, I'd, I'd be wanting to be somewhat academic in moments and psychologically inclined and I was made fun of the, for that. And then, of course, there was the rock and roll and all these different aspects of of my own personal self that was that was wanting to be expressed and it's only been lately in in what we call the so-called modern times where it's um it's actually become kind of hip to mm-hmm. to be integrated and to be more whole in a way so it's less about um cutting parts of myself off depending upon what context I'm in and and more just showing up as who I am regardless of what environment I'm in it's convenient it's very convenient <laughs> and it's different <laughs> say again it's very different than yeah. it used to be. Yeah, right? Do you notice that? Well, I notice it in the realms of meditation or word like mindfulness or even compassion where, you know, if you were a, a practitioner, like a serious practitioner, and you were uh, not so much in the arts, but if you were an academic or right. uh, you were a doctor a or something or a yeah. banker, you'd kind of hide it, you know? You right. wouldn't want people to know that. some shame around it. Yeah, it was. Know. It was like, oh, you're odd. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you're, and and even the even the terms, the the disparaging terms they had, where it was woo woo or whatever those words were, I just, right? It's horrifying. But now it seems to be less and less the case, which is really relaxing. Yeah, it is very much so. <laughs> it's so relaxing. Good for the nervous system. Yeah, we belong. Hey, look at yeah, that. imagine that. <laughs> it's great. It's funny. So you've been incredibly outspoken about your own personal confrontation with codependency and addiction recovery, and from the Buddhist perspective, desire is named as the first of the five hindrances that affect our experience. And um, they're hindrances because they're seductive and they promise a lot and deliver a little. And uh, part of the path of getting free is not so much killing desire, which doesn't actually work, but opening our fields of desire to truer things like friendship or belonging or connection. Um, Does that resonate with you in your path? Yeah, I, uh, the, going from the hedonic pleasure aversion, mm-hmm. pain avoidance thing to the eudaimonic sort of more engagement flourishing. I, I think of it in terms of inside out versus outside in, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I, I appreciate both. I appreciate, you know, us being animals and seeking pleasure, mm-hmm. that dopamine kind of hit. I call it a hap hit, you know, and it's it, and like you just <laughs> said, it's so temporary. Yeah. Um, 
but for me, it's it's been a combination of, to be perfectly transparent, the, the bouncing between the both. And I've just noticed that there's more of a, an ongoing sort of steady current of, of a, a felt sense of the truth of who I am um, mm-hmm. from the eudaimonic um, less chasing and more, more grounded, you know, and that might even look like just eyes closed, looking down at the ground while I'm walking, if there's mayhem all around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, service, you know, as far back as I can remember, my, my, my mom especially was very intent on having service be the, the platform from which all things bound from, you know, so, um, so yeah, being, being of service has been is where I find my greatest sense of well-being. And then the, the, the major important caveat for me is to make sure that I take care of my body and that I don't mm-hmm. complete obli- completely obliterate self in order to just show up, you know. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. Um, and then the developmental immaturity issues, which is which seems to be more of an accurate way of describing codependence, because codependence has been a term that I think it's been misunderstood by a lot of people, mm-hmm. but working with Pia Melody and just looking at self-care and, and boundaries and being in reality versus fantasy and having a sense of one's own needs and wants and, and reaching that middle path kind of moderation balance, you know, the, mm-hmm. these are, these are, this is the grand invitation of, of maturing and so many ways to get there, you know, whether it's through therapy or through marriage or through friendship, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. in my professional environments, you know, I'm constantly being called to grow up. And, um, and it's, it's, it's quite a lovely invitation. It's yeah. harrowing at times. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah. Well, I wrote, um, my, my most recent book was called Real Love, and I almost wrote the whole book because of one line in a movie. Uh, the movie was Dan in Real Life, and, okay. which is maybe 10 years old, something like that. Okay. And um, the line is, love is not a feeling, it's an ability. Mm, I love and that. And I was so taken with that because it matched my own experiences in meditation practice so strongly where I saw there's so many ways I thought of love as in someone else's hands, which meant they could bestow it upon me or mm. take it away from me. Yeah. And if they took it away, I'd have nothing. Whereas if it was an ability, it was mine. It was inside yeah. me. Some mine to nurture. Yes. And and if we could add to the word ability, it would be the ability to express who we innately are at our core. Yes. Yes. You know, and if we are love at our core, if we are consciousness or light or all these gorgeous words that, that chase the ineffable, undefinable thing, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's the ability to articulate that, you know. And um, But there's so many messages in, in culture in general that – they don't even in parenting context like there's no separation of behavior and and the core of who that person innately is mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the whole idea of being bad or sinners or you know someone behave acts out and all of a sudden they're a bad person as opposed to in this behavior in this context doesn't work you know yeah yeah um but yeah i love that and i i i think of love as a as an as a verb in a way too you know, because so many pe- so many relationships broke up because the feeling of infatuation um, would wane, and then yeah. a lot of times I would just be dumped <laughs> because <laughs> they, they didn't feel so loving toward me anymore. I was like, well, that's inevitable in any relationship. There's yeah, going to be yeah. moments, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's some place in which I guess you yourself have, have called yourself a love addict. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, like a, a I mean the love addiction is really an addiction mm-hmm. of, uh, toward a person and I actually would say it's an it's an impersonal person, you know, it's um, mm-hmm. so it's less about love, it's more about the addiction to an avoidant, 
you know, someone who seeks intensity outside of the relationship and specifically doesn't want to turn around and meet, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that's mm-hmm. their survival strategy. Um, so, yeah, for me, recovery has been about the underlying issues and the traumas mm-hmm. that, uh, mm-hmm. that, were under, that were underneath the desire to have the dopamine and have mm-hmm. the, the, the perpetual hunger, as I called it, you know, that that would have me choose people who, who simply couldn't meet me, you know, and I think from what I've learned from, from my own recovery journey and through Pia Melody is that the love addict seems to want connection, um, but they're actually very terrified of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then mm-hmm. the avoidant seems to want to get away and doesn't want connection, but they actually are very vulnerable to being um, abandoned and rejected too. So there's, there's an equal sort of fraught relationship with the idea of connection. So mm-hmm. I've been in recovery for that for a long time, multiple whack-a-mole addictions that, that have <laughs> just, you know, yeah. depends on which one's abated for a hot second. And, and so much of it is just the, the recovery of, of trauma for yeah. me in my yeah. past. Yeah. yeah. I think for everybody, really. I mean, one way I think trauma is sometimes defined is, is being frozen. Yes. You know, it's like all that energy, all that potential. Yeah. All that capacity is like locked down. And so, yes. And it's so I mean, bright that it'll it'll depress us or it'll yeah. it'll make us sick, you know, and fight, flight, freeze. Then the new ones have collapsed and tend to befriend too. That was a big one for me as like from a Canadian culture was when, <laughs> when, when things hit certain fans that I would just go toward yeah. the fire, you know, and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm moving toward the fire. But that was just one of my survival strategies. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just about waking up to, to survival strategies and, um, and that what you just mentioned about, I call it sort of this current of energy within us that is so powerful um, that courses through us at varying speeds and that we have to be responsible for it in some way. And, and if we don't know how to or if I don't know how to, then it, it can quickly turn into anxiety and depression and chronic dysregulation. And, mm-hmm. and I don't, our bodies weren't built to be mm-hmm. in chronic dysregulation like that. I think my mood today is such that How's I'm thinking your mood? <laughs> my mood today is such that I think it's a miracle we survive. And, you know, as burdensome and kind of onerous as these survival mechanisms become when they're no longer needed, yes. you know, when we have yeah. other options, you yeah. know, what a thing. We made it, you know. No, like, we're still here. We're as still here. As we are. We're still here. We're just we're trying to make it work. <laughs> Which is pretty great, you know, it's and awesome. I think. It's a miracle. <laughs> it is a miracle. And, and the more we like. Um, I've really felt this through my meditation practice and my reading in Buddhism and so on. The more we move away from right and wrong and good and bad to yeah. suffering and the end of suffering, yeah. as how we assess things, you know, things we feel and things we fear and, you know, other yeah. people's behavior, the better off we are. Yeah, I mean, and that sounds so lovely on paper. It seems to be such a challenging thing to do because yeah. on an animal level we're so – we get very limbic and very animal and mm-hmm. responsive in that way. And then, then some, like you said, we get frozen in it, you know. So it's like this, this thawing where we can get that neofrontal cortex of our brain back online because mm-hmm. it's, it's, the, it's the potential for what's possible. And it can helm the whole, the whole journey. But if we're subject to, to our survival mechanisms and our animal responses, we'll stay stuck there, you know, and... So much anxiety and depression and, and chronic stress and work addiction in, in culture today um, that, that, that has become a whole new element of, of my, what, I, what I call my service, servicefulness, just to, just to touch on that because our mm-hmm. bodies are, 
our bodies are, um, you know, are, are unrested. <laughs> yes, no, very much so. Yeah. I mean, I said to a friend uh, just today, actually, I had breakfast with somebody, um, and I said, I think you're moving down the chakras, you know? <laughs> I think you're, you kind of moved from, like, open-heartedness to, like, survival. But you know what? I think right. you're in the – things are happening in your life that that makes sense, yeah. you know? Yeah, because it is, it is circumstantial sometimes. Circumstantial, yeah. biochemical, hormonal, you know, neurobiological. It's, it's, it's so many things to take into account. We are these gorgeous, complex creatures with this – the, like this delightful light in the in the center of it, and we can so easily lose sight of it if one thing is off, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, you're so um, forthright, which is such a gift for people, and you're well known for deeply honest and very personal songwriting. And here I have a quote from uh, one of your songs. You say that most of, well, it's not from your song, it's about the songs. Most of the songs are in a roundabout way actually addressed to myself. There's a certain aspect of the songs that's very confessional, very unadulterated. It was a very unfettered spiritual experience. Mm. So that's a beautiful and I think very true comment mm. on, on creativity. Yeah, the idea of being able to show up and surrender at the same time. You know, So it's, it's being very alert um, and yet very, it's very feminine for me too, like very receptive, clear the mind completely and just let whatever is to come through mm-hmm, in, in any mm-hmm. given moment come through. Um, and like I said earlier, at, at first it's just for me, you know, and it's a very self-focused, self-expressed thing. And then once it's finished, I completely let go and I, I let it be, uh, I let it be other people's um, other people's interpretations of it. It's always really satisfying for me to hear people's interpretations of any words mm-hmm. that I've written. And mm-hmm. often it has nothing to do with what I wrote. It's, great, it's great. great. <laughs> great. What did they hear? <laughs> How did yes. they hear that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I often, you know, like I've, from the time I was a child, I wanted to be a writer. I never actually thought I could. And then I finally did it. And so huh. um, now I can't stop. And, <laughs> Good. And, we win, by the way. <laughs> Your you. audience wins. <laughs> Keep Thank going. you. <laughs> you know, and it's, I look back at the things I wrote and I think, I don't actually remember writing it. Right. You know, which yeah. is kind of remarkable. You were in that zone. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's the use of the mind as a, as a, as a filter. You know, it's like the, the, my brain becomes secondary so that I can articulate something or choose words or but the actual message or the current um, is in the driver's seat so it's really exciting I also noticed too in, in having performed a lot of the songs particularly the more the more sort of angry um, emotive I mean they're all emotive frankly mm-hmm. but um, but performing those again and again what I did notice about art when it's singular and meaning when it's in a vacuum or when it's being written alone in a studio in my case is that the process is very cathartic even performing on stage but it doesn't become healing for me until it's relational so Mm -hmm. you know i may i may run you know i may have a, a conflict with someone and then i run away and write about it and if i never really resolve it within my own self within a context of therapy or with the person directly I can sing that song 150,000 times and the catharsis will remain. The movement mm. of energy will remain, but the actual healing experience is still just out of reach for the fact that it's not relational. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that was a big revelation for me around, around thinking uh, yeah. that I could get away with you know, not interacting with humans. <laughs> 
I'll just write songs for the rest of my life and not have to talk to anybody. It's <laughs> interesting. Well, rumor has it you're writing a book. Yes. Are you written a book? I'm writing. I'm about 1,200 pages in, and I'm oh. clearly going to need to edit. Um, I think so. But the, you think? <laughs> a little war and peace. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, a lot of stories. And for me, you know, the idea of just telling stories in and of itself was never compelling enough without some sort of um, intentionality of servicefulness imbued into it. So there's some informal and formal and, you know, humor-filled teaching throughout all of it. And um, it's, it's gotten to that place where now it's just editing itself. It's just writing itself. And that's the flow that I was waiting for. And I, I truly believe in divine timing. So although I have been talking about this book for way too long in my mind, <laughs> um, it is eventually going to be ready over the next year. <laughs> that's fantastic. I turned in real love um, two years late and one day early. Oh, there you go. I, I was extremely <laughs> proud of the one day. <laughs> It's like, look, oh, it turns in early. Like, I was, I was in some sort of d- divine timing aspect. <laughs> That's great. Really? No, I love that you're writing. It's such a service. It's such a gift. Thank you. I mean, for me, it's you know that that form of creativity is very connected to love. You know, it's 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 about connection. Mm, yeah. And even if the person is not in the room, I don't tend to imagine the reader or something like that. But I just feel them. You know. Yes. I feel there's someone out there. Yeah, it's very relational when we're writing, right? Because it mm-hmm. it it's like a dialogue or an exchange. Um, and I'm teaching again at 1440 mm. later in the year, and, and the title of the this particular one is called Connection as a Way of Life. Uh-huh, oh, wonderful. And I just love, you know, ever since I was really little, I think that's what started my tendency toward inquiry to this degree. It was was feeling the, the suffering or the that rupture of disconnection from my own self or from spirit or God or oneness, consciousness, or feeling the disconnection in relationships and mm-hmm. and how, um, what, a, what a lie it is, and that's why it feels so terrible, you know, it's like, yeah. it's, it just speaks such a lie about the truth of our interconnectivity, so it sounds like from what I've read of yours and from what I sense from you, too, that it's this element of connection being the the true north is is something that we might share. Would you say that? I would say that absolutely. When are you teaching? I'd love to come to your oh, course. Early October, October five <laughs> through uh, twelve. Let's check it out. <laughs> but you know, no, really, for me, connection is everything. I was just telling someone the story about when I started teaching meditation, which was nineteen seventy four. Wow. Um, and I was teaching with friends and colleagues, and. Um, the format of our intensive retreats, which is the form we were teaching in, is that you kind of practice all day and there's teacher contact with questions and answers and stuff. But there's one formal lecture every night and I was too petrified to ever, ever give it. Mm. Um, I, my big fear was that I was going to be sitting up there. My mind would go blank and I'd just be sitting up there. Yeah, you could only hope that would happen, right? <laughs> yeah, really. So, uh, uh, but I went through a whole process and I realized, you know, the whole thing about giving the lecture is about connection. Mm. You know, they're not actually sitting out there, you know, waiting for my expertise. They want to feel connected mm. to this process. And it's their own process because they're meditating themselves. And, wow. you know, they, they want some context. They want some, some sense of a larger sense of connection. And once I got that, then I could give talks. Wow. And then what, what did you notice changed in you, even just in your sitting up front? Like what, what changed? Was it just that you... You were okay with with letting what was to come out of you come out of you, or what did it look like? How did it change? It looked a lot like that, and it, it looked like not 
not having the need to be perfect. Uh, yeah. Like if I didn't know how to pronounce something, I'd actually say that. How do you say that word? <laughs> you know, and it was just us. It wasn't like they're out there, you know, right? looking at me, wanting to judge me. It's like, here we are together. Yeah. Let's engage in this together. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. Wow. What a service. And sometimes people tell me, like who are performers that uh, have a difficult time actually performing that if they do a kind of loving kindness or compassion practice for the audience that they, they get to that same space, you know, that here we are. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably one of my favorite felt experiences in my body is when, is when the audience is just lit up with love and I'm lit up with love and it, you know, certainly it's, it, it's wordless in a sense. I mean, there's lyrics, mm-hmm. but it's, it's this wordless connection on a macrocosmic level too. So I love the idea of having my consciousness bounce between the micro, tiny, searingly present moments, you know, say with my daughter or my son when we're quiet alone in a hotel room or in our living room, and then and then bouncing it out to, to the whole um, to the whole world, the whole city, the whole country, the whole universe. Really, it's for me. I I have to bounce between the two because if I get too mired in in a sense of one, it's like. I don't know, somehow ungrounding for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how is it when you teach at a place like 1440 or, you know, it's such a different format than being on the stage? Yeah, I get to tap into the more academic, um, super receptive too. Like there is a there is a silence in the mind and then I just kind of tune into whose hair may be on fire in the room or what mm. what is the most burning inquiry uh, movement in the room or, you know, um, and then I have my agenda, you know, wanting to share with people. Um, I think I was born also to just render pithy or to distill somewhat complicated ideas <laughs> in, into a, a palatable, kind of understandable, hopefully understandable way so that it can, it can people can take that home and, and use it, you know. So if I say 100 things and one thing is serviceful for someone to take them from B to C on their personal evolutionary alphabet or R to S, you know, then, then that would be a wonderful thing. So for me, I just, I just, it's like throwing it all out uh, with people. And then if there's something that resonates personally to them in any given moment, wonderful. And then getting pieces of feedback as we go along of, of what people might want to hear more about or less about, or it's, it's such a give and take, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, sitting across from each other in so many ways. That's fantastic. Is that your experience too, or it's? I mean, it, it's it is very much my experience. And um, you know, when we first began teaching in this country, it was all in the form of intensive retreat, so that was a little harder to access, and you had to be highly, highly motivated. And these days, when meditation is so much more accessible, um, <coughs> it's actually the range of people in the room is pretty broad, mm-hmm. and it's pretty exciting. You know, just to see this common endeavor and this willingness to to go within and to pay attention. Because one of the things I would say about the word connection, um, for me, it's also very empowering because, mm. you know, it doesn't mean like if you're drinking a cup of tea, um, you got to trade in the cup of tea for a better cup of tea. Mm-hmm. It means you have to be present with what is in a very different way. Yes. And and that is up to us, you know, so that too is very empowering in the sense mm. that love is a an ability. Yes. Yeah, and there's no, there's not that that sort of 
rough uh, resistance. You know, it's like the resistance is so physically exhausting for me. Yeah. <laughs> so so when there's that searing presence with what is and not fighting it, you know, and then then if there is some behavioral or some circumstantial thing to be shifted, it will be born from that, right? Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's um. Yeah, I mean, I say this as though I do it every day. <laughs> oh, uh, I that's I aspire, but yeah, the the inter the interpersonal muscle of of going within, you know, it's sensation for those of us who are particularly highly sensitive, temperamentally or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be so overwhelming and overstimulating in a way. So for me, it's it's cultivating that interiority muscle and that interpersonal muscle, but it's also for me pacing myself. And mm-hmm. I used to be really hard on myself around seeking distraction. You know, I just thought, okay, I've got this whole perfectionistic thing that, that you touched on a second ago, like wanting to be mindful, wanting to be present, wanting to not check out, wanting, you know, and all these, all of these mandates that I had for myself, but mm-hmm. just realizing that whatever's happening right now, including my dissociation, mm-hmm. and, you know, it can also be included in that sort of compassionate observation and, uh, and including when I'm not so compassionately observing, you know, mm-hmm. that voice mm-hmm. that can be so, um, cruel, you yeah. know, just, just yeah. watching that voice and going, ah, this, this voice has some, some goal here, some yeah, yeah. usually of protection, you know, trying to protect me or, or, you know, guide me somewhere where it thinks I'll be safer in its own, from its own perception. But, um, I, I just love how multitudinous the whole internal landscape is, you know, and, um, and then every once in a while I have to watch Bart Simpson just to, just <laughs> to take a break. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> I love that, really. I mean, yeah. so, you know, I usually, and also being a lover of language, you know, many times, many, many times people will say to me, um, how can I stay mindful after this retreat? Or how can I keep mindfulness all day long at work? And mm-hmm. my response is, you're not going to, you know, yeah, that's yeah, not going to yeah, happen. God bless you. <laughs> you know, but you're going to learn how to begin again. You're going to learn how to come back. You're going to learn how to start over more gracefully with a better lightness of heart, you know, and that's the whole point, you know, to think that something's going to happen, you're going to be able to hold on to is a big mistake. Yeah. And it's still that it's going through that perfectionistic filter, right? Mm -hmm. It's like Mm -hmm. somehow that there's some idealized end point or some finish line whereby when we reach it, then, you know, my, my fantasy was always such that I thought that I'd get to this so-called finish line and that somehow I'd be regulated, you know, I'd have mm-hmm. social well-being, positive feelings, life satisfaction, physical health, no depression, no anxiety, no stress. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just like, okay, well, um, that, might be, that might be the case when I'm not in my body anymore, but mm-hmm. there's so many experiences being in the body and, and coming back to it, like you just said, and, and saying, okay, what's happening now? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that was the primary... And maybe most important lesson of meditation practice for me was you can start over. Mm. You can begin again, you know, like nothing yeah. is like unalterably uh, ruined. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, imagine. Yeah. Can you, can you say that again, that last couple of I words? said no, nothing is unalterably ruined. Ah, oh, yeah. You know, that, mm. uh, look at that. You know, maybe there's lessons learned or amends to be made or whatever, but mm. well, everybody makes mistakes, you know. Yeah. So let's learn how to let go and, and come back. Yeah. And that some of these sensations and, and, you know, feelings and thoughts that are thinking us and the feelings in the chest or the throat, you know, that they, that a lot of them have messages, you know, yeah. that of, yeah. of something. And, um, 
you know, being, for me, being responsible and listening to them, not acting on them immediately, but just mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. attempting to see what messages they may be attempting to give me. Um, but I, you know, my, my challenge has been that they're so intense that there's an urgency. And that's why writing has been so powerful for me, because mm-hmm. when they are, when these feelings and sensations and multiple thoughts happen, as soon as I start writing them down and questioning them or even expressing them through art, it takes the it takes the power out of them a little bit. It sort of softens it all a bit. That's so great. Mm. I mean, it's almost like a holistic. Uh, one's whole life is like the creative medium, you know. And anything you do toward healing mm. uh, has a place. Yes. You know, it doesn't have to be only meditation or you yeah. Know. Yeah, there's so many portals to to that felt sense of connection. You know, it's sometimes it's bottom up through the body, sometimes it's through the intellect, through some flash of insight, through through movement, you know, through mm-hmm. painting, through through teaching and I mean there's so many ways. Um and then I notice that I quickly just get depressed when I when I don't move that energy or and, and sometimes mm-hmm. when I say move that energy it can look like me sitting still in meditation. That's mm-hmm. a version mm-hmm. of moving the energy, you know. Yeah. 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 So you have a, a personal meditation practice? I do. I, I kind of I consider them. Some of them are really formal, as in you know sitting down and mm-hmm. in, in silence, watching the thoughts as gently as possible, <laughs> as witnessly as possible. That's great. <laughs> um, and then other you know other forms of meditation, walking and even just relational meditation, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. observing and being fully present and attempting to be as great of a listener as I can be is a form of meditation for me. Spending time with my kids. Um, just really being there for a friend sitting across from me feels mm-hmm. like a meditation, you know. Um, and just being in that witness or that awareness, consciousness state, uh, you know, I'm not always there. I can be really identified with my thoughts and my egoic identity and my mind a lot. <laughs> and then, you know, then my body starts cramping up and I'm like, oh, <laughs> there's a good gauge. <laughs> yeah, there's a very good gauge, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking that something we were talking about earlier went through my mind and came and went. Um, but something about yeah. uh, uh, relating to oneself in a certain way with that fullness of open-heartedness and just presence is, and just that, that connection is really about relationships as well, you know, where um, I keep using the example of uh, talking to a stranger and not really paying attention and not really uh, listening or not really looking at them and uh, if we realize that, we can actually gather our energy and fully arrive mm. and and actually be there. And uh, somebody said to me, well, it's the same with long-term relationships. You know, you don't really listen anymore. Right. And you know how everything's going to end and, you know, whether it's a friendship or whatever. And, right. And I think that is so true, you know, that uh, so much depends just on the quality of our attention. Yeah, and that that beginner's mind as though we're as though we're aliens that landed on Earth, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, boom! I'm in this room, you know. Whoa! Yeah. Look at that bottle. What is that? Yeah. You know? And then that that movement, you know. I'm always I'm often fascinated with the movement toward definition. You know, like I can mm-hmm. be having a direct experience of a sunset, or looking at a blanket, or you know, and then all of a sudden, the word blanket. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, and I got I got that in Mississippi, you know, and just the, all the stories that kind mm-hmm. of, they they're desperately wanting to swoop in like a like an egoic movement mm-hmm. that just wants to scoop it all away and define it and concretize it and one dimensionalize it and move on, you know. Mm-hmm. It's 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 violent sometimes and it's yeah it's entertaining too though. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Look at that. Look at <laughs> that. There's yeah. so much. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. So when you say love is a verb, uh, which I would also agree with. Um, yeah. It can be a verb. I mean, I, there's so yeah. many. It's so fun to chase defining love. You know, I, yeah. sometimes I call it a verb. Sometimes I call it a um, – it can be a felt sense, too, you know, and for me in the body. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not singularly that, though. Um, and then I also – I draw it a lot because in, in, I, I can't draw. It was not a gift I was given. But I can draw stick people mm-hmm. really well. So I draw two stick people facing each other, and one is saying in the in the talk bubble, one says you, and then mm. the other stick figure says no you, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I define love a lot when I, when I have a piece of paper in front of me. But um, just for me, it's a, about expressing with each other, having the the direct experience with each other of who we actually are. Uh-huh. You know, consciousness meeting consciousness, love meeting love, awareness meeting awareness, light blending into light. You know, and there's so many ways to do it. That's why it's so fun to be here and why I'm still okay with being in a body. Yeah. Is yeah. Because there's so many ways to do that. I mean, it just perpetually blows me away that everything we go through and still, yeah. you know, we, that our hearts move toward love. And, yeah. And that's what we, um, it's almost like, you know, plant in the sun. It's like we just move there. Yeah. And we get through that cement if we have to. Yeah. Yeah. And if we don't, you know, for those of us who feel stuck and under the cement still and that yeah. that perfect little weed has not come out yet, you yeah. know, that, that that there's still the movement toward it. Yes. You know, it's still trying to find the crack. <laughs> yeah, and maybe the crack will find us, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank <Still>. you. <laughs> so I'm going to finish in a way um, – by reading something of yours that feels so on point and is actually quite Buddhist, where you said, the truth of who we are is innate goodness, and the whole journey is really about removing any obstacles or or false belief that keeps us from knowing that. Hmm. Yeah. That's a hard thing to have confidence in, you know, for many people. Yeah, and and when you say confidence, you mean to, to live by that, you mean, or? To live by it, or even, you know, people often say, Innate goodness, you know, like one of my uh, Tibetan teachers, you know, kind of playing with the language has come to say innate okayness, you know, because goodness was like a bridge too far, you know. Well, I I think what's happened is that in this realm of dualism, Mm -hmm. we have everything. We have our our tall and short. We have our cold and hot. We have all that. So, and that's fun in terms of of this playground being, you know, a a playground of relativity and dualism, Mm -hmm. but... But the one thing, and, and I struggled with this for a long time, the one thing that I believe is not subject to dualism is the core truth of love and peace and joy mm-hmm. and light that we are. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as many, you know, I'm so Jungian-oriented and shadow and, and parts process, internal family systems oriented, the one thing that can't be subject to, to this dual, to the, the, the gorgeousness and violence of dualism is this innate okayness or goodness mm-hmm. or light, you know, and even, even having a word attempt to, to shape it is, is comical and sweet, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and fun. Um, so, so yeah, that's the one thing that's not subject to it. And I, and I think the word good is so fraught these days because it, it goes hand in hand with its, its bedfellow bad, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if we could just take those words out, that would be so convenient. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really agree with you. And it's very beautiful. It's a very beautiful perspective on life. I think it, it um, in Buddhism, when they say everybody wants to be happy, you know, it's, uh, and everybody has a capacity for wholeness and clarity and uh, connection and 
care. Everybody has that. And it's usually kind of covered over and hard to find and, and maybe hard to trust, but it's absolutely there. It could never, ever be destroyed. But, you know, as people often counter that with, you know, there's so much violence and there's so much exploitation. And, you know, how can you say we are innately good, you know, that... Mm-hmm. And but I really do believe that you know. Well, I think I think the violence is the is the protest from about the lie of us not being good. And yeah. Sorry, sorry yeah. to interrupt you. No, no, no. Please go on. Yeah, no, you know, yeah, that. Um, and I and I think words do get us into trouble as much as I love them because the good and the bad and the you know the the actings out you know that that I keep thinking of the actings out of the violence and the murder and the, you know, I just think of it as a protest. It's Mm -hmm. a protest around the lie of, of us not being aware or, or given the credence for uh, the truth of who we are, which is this light, you know, Mm -hmm. these miracles walking around. And so much of it is affected by the body too. You know, like I said, like we talked Mm -hmm. about a few minutes ago with the brain and the, biochemical and the you know there's so many there's so many elements that one synapse or one neural firing that that tweaks and all of a sudden our behavior can change and Mm -hmm. we think we're our behavior and um certainly behavior you know there's some boundaries being set around them especially in children or people who are acting out in ways Mm -hmm. that are really violent but it's still behavior it's not the core of who we are yeah that's wonderful oh so on that note, I hope I get to meet you, like really meet you. I mean, yeah, I feel like I really met you, but, you know, in the body. To, yeah, yeah, in the body, eye, eyeballs, eyeballs. I would love to have snacks with you. That'd be great. So, um, And thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, I just uh, doing a quiet bow to you. I, uh, I love this conversation. Thank you for inviting thank me. Thank you so much, and, and I can't wait to see your book. Yay. Can't wait to keep reading yours. <laughs> thank great. you. Great. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. For more information about Sharon's many offerings and her teaching schedule, please visit her website at SharonSalzberg.com.